of the What Am I Thankful For podcast. So one of the things I wanted to reset was um, our goals from the intro. We mentioned a lot of different goals, but one of the things we didn't mention is actually just how we balance our personal lives and Maddox and our careers and the village that we have. I think we mentioned it a little bit, but also the the things we utilize and like the government programs, resources, state resources, kind of how we balance our schedules. So I think it's important. We will talk about that more in depth in future episodes. We'll probably have a whole episode about, you know, different programs that we utilize and different, different um, things that it gives us access to. But I definitely wanted to put that as a goal because I think families really struggle with that. When you get the diagnosis of either one of the things that Maddox has been diagnosed with, the first thing you think of as parents is like, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to continue my career? How am I going to live my personal life and be there for all the needs of my child? So that's really important to us to bring up. Yeah. And that also depends heavily on where, where you live in the, within the country. I mean, here in California, we have access to a ton of, of different government um, support. But if you live in Ohio, for example, I, I know um, in hearing from other parents of, of kids with extra needs that there is literally nothing. So it, yeah, you know, keep that in mind when, when we talk about this. Yeah. I think families like us also get a little bit locked in place. Like I'm scared to leave the County that we live in just because even moving one County over in California would reset so many of his services and so many of the things we have access to, we would still in theory get all those things, but we'd have to reestablish with new caseworkers and, you know, some of these we've had for, for the majority of his life. Yeah, it could be a crapshoot. We could get a bad caseworker or somebody that denies us for whatever reason. Like We have a lot of good things in place. So I think it's an important conversation to have, and we're adding it to our goals. We're amending our goals from the previous uh, introduction. And that's something that we'll talk about as well as, just like I said, how we balance our lives. How do we maintain roles and jobs and um, stay truthful and loyal to our employers and update them on all the things that are going on in our life. Not That's... to mention our marriage. Well, yeah. We'll first, def- first and foremost, not to mention our, our sanity and our, uh, our, our vows. That's right. Lots of balance. So we'll definitely get into those things in later episodes. It's funny because when we sat down to record this quote unquote podcast before we even knew it was a podcast, we said, you know, the plan was let's just tell stories. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go to, you know, let's talk about our infertility struggles. That's something that could potentially help people all along. That was the goal, right? If this helps one person either get through their thing or shines a bright light on something that, you know, happened as a result of something we went through, then we're successful. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and as we built out these episodes, it's like, well, what, what if we want to talk about something that's going on in our lives right now? Like why can we interject? Like, can, so I think that's going to be something that we fold in now is like, we have recorded some episodes that you have yet to hear. This episode is kind of real time, like it's October 2021, and we're talking about things that happened to us very recently. Then we will have a storytelling episode, and then we will, you know, we might have a few storytelling episodes, and then we'll go back 
and maybe do an interview episode where we talk to a family that's in a similar situation to us or can um, you know, help our audience with some other thing that we maybe not, um, we maybe don't know as well. Yeah, completely. We, um, you know, when we started this off, it was a more of let's tell our journey as a family. Let's tell everything, as you mentioned, starting from infertility through fetal surgery, through the birth of Maddox and on and on and on. And then we started with his story and then current events happen and we're experiencing real time which never you know there's never a a pause button on that and we'll get into you know in this episode our current events and things that have happened in our life um within the last month or two so you know we want we just want you all to understand that while many of you have followed us for a long time, some of you are brand new, um, we'll share Maddox's story, we'll share our journey, and we'll share current events of, of where we're at in hopes that many of you can relate and can even offer your insight into your daily lives. Yeah, this is if you're a Tarantino fan, you're going to like us because we're going to jump through <laughs> eras and d- decades and Definitely. all kinds of different stuff. So uh, buckle up for that. So one of the things that happened kind of recently that definitely the most tender event that happened in our lives as a family is Maddox was involved in a really horrific accident at school. Every special needs parents nightmare. The thing that we campaign for every single school year to make sure at basic level, our son is safe at school, like throw out all the, our goals for development and learning and mainstreaming and all the other challenges that special needs parents have. And really any parent has, um, just keep our kids safe from, you know, eight to two or whenever he's at school. That's... I drop him off. I know that he is in his classroom. He is getting a great education and he is safe. Well, about one month into the school year, he had a significant fall. Um, there were stairs involved. He went to the hospital. It was, it was just a really bad thing that we don't want to fully unpack right now. That's not the goal of bring introducing this to our listeners. Um, what we do want to talk about, though, is what we've kind of experienced since then and just how hard it is as a special needs parent to get anywhere with any government entity, whether it's a school district or a regional center or if it's an insurance thing or a medical facility. Like It's just so hard for us seemingly to get kind of basic stuff that probably everyone else in the world that has a typical child takes for granted. They drive to school. Five minutes before the bell, they drop their kid off. They probably don't even get out of their car. The kid goes in school. And for the most part, kid comes back looking the same. You know, I'm, I'm well aware there's bullying and there's other topics that any parent could go down. We'll get into that later as well. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things. So, so obviously, as we're trying to get him back into school, we're touring other campuses. And, um, you know, it's really important. It's always been important for us to have him in a social situation, a a social learning situation. We don't want to keep our kid in a bubble. He has two diagnoses. He's uh, in a wheelchair. He's got a lot of things going on. We don't care. We want him out in public. We want him in public school. We want him experiencing everything there is to life, whether it's good or it's bad. It's going to prepare him for independence, right? That's and the only he way. truly loves it. Like that's that's the important thing to note is that we want all these things for him, but he genuinely wants to be there. That's right. He he really thrives off of that. You know, just that communal aspect of being with his classmates and going to recess 
mess with the kids who can dribble and, and run around and play. Like, he likes that. He, it's almost like he sees what he can't do now, and he appreciates the people that can do it, you know? So if he has that attitude about it, then, yeah, let's expose him to as many things as possible. But what we're seeing in touring, touring these other campuses, and now he's already been at three different schools in person. He's obviously done the online. We toured two more campuses, and every single one that we've been to has something that's just like, you put the kids that are go- potentially going to be in wheelchairs, whether they're mainstream or not, in like the most precarious situations at every single one of these campuses. And it's the reason why we advocated so hard for his one-on-one health person in the first place, which obviously that didn't go so Failed well us. on the day of his accident. But um, it just seems like there's there's this reluctance to either put our kids in situations where they feel welcome in these campuses or they they're somehow cordoned off from the rest of the group is what we've found in our in our different every campus that we have that maddox has either attended or that we have toured the special services classrooms are always a mobile that is pushed off way into the depths of the campus and there are nine times out of ten i don't think i've seen one yet that doesn't have a steep incline or decline. Yeah, I mean, you have to build a ramp in, but they're always positioned on a hill or a way out into the, into the <laughs> playground that is pushed off into the far, far, the furthest corner that you can imagine. Yeah, and playgrounds are a whole other topic. That's probably another episode in itself. But yeah, it just seems like they can't figure this out. And it's like, okay, we get it that all special needs... I guess the biggest problem is that special needs students come from a wide variety, right? Some of them have just mental disabilities. Some of them have just physical disabilities. Some of them have a combination of the two. That's probably most likely that they have some some combo of those two. But it just seems like the schools are very reluctant to make physical accommodations for these students, and it affects our son the most. Yet our children... What did, what did we heard the number? Our children are worth... Two and a half or three. Three times. Yeah the amount of a typical child from a funding perspective. Yeah. Every day that Maddox goes to school, he makes the school between two and a half and three times what a typical kid would in his grade. Yet you walk any campus in this country and the majority of these campuses have little to no accessibility throughout the property. They have no accessibility in mind for a child like ours in a wheelchair or a kid in a walker or just just like you mentioned earlier basic needs i would say that they meet the minimum requirement for accessibility but the practicality is not there like they have the ada spaces there's a way to get from the ada space into the campus and there's a way to get to every door on that campus for the most part but there's other things that are blaringly obvious to parents that deal with a child in a wheelchair every day that are just like, this is a hazard, for yeah. one. So my child's classroom is at point A, and he has to walk the entire perimeter of the campus to get to the playground. Right. That's not okay. He can get there, but it's like a hell of a it's thing. It's going to take the entire recess period for yeah. him to get there. Yeah. It's not so, right. So we keep seeing this, and we wanted to bring it up because it's like when you guys build these schools, you know, people when people are building schools, just consider or remodeling or remodeling or just placing a special needs class. Like, what if there's a kid in a wheelchair in this special needs class? At some point in the in the five in a five year run, there's going to be a kid in a wheelchair. There's going to be a kid or in a manual mobility issues, yeah, or a walker, or uh, you know, AFOs or something that yields the thought process of hey what is this kid's life going to be like at this school and just think about that stuff because it seems like low-hanging fruit 
to people like us who deal with it every single day, but it's not thought of enough. And it's, it's, they're often far from anything relevant in the campus and they're literally on a on top of a large hill almost every time it's unbelievable well and we had this conversation with friends a few weeks back that not not only everything that that we've just discussed but the entrances are always separate for our kids why is that why why do we have to park in a separate parking lot to drop our kids off why can't they go through the main entrance why isn't it accessible for them to walk through the same entrance that the typical kids get to walk through or roll through however whatever the case may be why is it always so segregated it's almost like if they had it their way they would have our kids show up at a different time and leave at a different time like you know, so as not to disturb the the status quo. It's but true. Anyway. It's sad, but true. Yeah. So we so we definitely want to bring that to the forefront, and we want people to engage on this because hearing other people's experiences throughout this has been, I guess, it's kept us a little bit sane in the sense of like, oh, this is not just us. Like we try to do everything possible to keep our son safe. You know, we feel like the school district failed us. You start second guessing. Well, can we ever trust these people again? Can we ever trust anybody again? I mean, all we're asking to do is keep them safe for six hours, like not have them fall down, you know, multiple stairs would be great. So if, you know, if you guys have experiences like this, then please share. We'd love to hear them because we are in the process of hopefully making a bigger push than just our school district and maybe even our state. Like we, you know, things need to change. We're appreciative of the fact that Maddox lives in an era where there is a, a general understanding of ADA. There's a general understanding of accessibility, but people just meet the minimum requirements and then they move on. And that's not, we got to push a little bit harder. We got to get things to the point where it's well thought out. There's advocates in every school district or city or town or however this works. There needs to be a subcommittee of special needs parents, of people with ambulatory issues, parents, you know, young adults with those issues that went through the school system. They could quickly highlight some of the stuff that people who walk around every day with with regular needs would miss every time we've heard from so many of you since this incident on september 7th um, of similar stories of neglect in our public schools across the country and in various parts of the world it just it makes me cringe every time i hear that this has happened to my child 15 years ago. This happened to my child 20 years ago. This just happened to my kid two weeks ago. Like, why is this still happening? It's 2021 and these issues are still happening. The districts don't want to to even touch these topics with us. And we need to we need to scream loud and clear we need to make this a priority and we need to take this to to the top levels and our kids are worthy and we need to scream that and we need to make that loud and clear and visible for all to see so on a lighter note halloween is our favorite time of year (laughs) i'm sure that some of you have seen uh, we just put up a blog post to share Basically, the what did I call it? We called it an adaptive Halloween costume retrospective. And basically, we just went year by year, all the costumes that we've either created or built for Maddox, just because we got onto this really early. Like, do you remember what was the what was the spark that kind of ignited this adaptive costume obsession that we have? Well, yes, the moment was um, what I can't I can't pinpoint the moment, but uh, we were still in the NICU and we were new to um, the social media 
support groups, um, the spina bifida. And I don't even think, you know, we hadn't even touched on dwarfism at that point because he wasn't diagnosed. Um, But so many of these parents were posting. So Maddox was born in September. Um, He was in the NICU through Halloween. And so many of these parents were posting in these support groups of their young kids in their adaptive costumes. And all of them at that point were handmade costumes, homemade costumes. And so we were like, wow, we knew then that there was a high likelihood that Maddox would never walk. And so we had already mentally prepared for that. So when we saw these, these parents posting these epic Halloween costumes, that's when we decided, you know what, we're going to make this his thing. Mm -hmm. And this will be like our family, our family wide uh, holiday that we are going to celebrate and we are going to make a huge priority in our home. Yeah. My takeaway on top of that was like, what a great thing for awareness and what a great thing for advocacy for our kids. Like, because spina bifida, it's such a wide range of things, right? You you can have spina bifida occulta and that could like Either, Uncle Yost. <laughs> like shout out Uncle Yost. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically you could go your whole life without experiencing anything or certainly anything severe, right? As a as a effect of that. And then there's obviously very severe cases of spina bifida where there's there's almost no movement at all in the entire body. So th- that's the range, right? So it's basically all things. And we just keep seeing these wheelchair costumes, these walker costumes, these really creative, just like we're going to take our kids' abilities and we're going to highlight them. Absolutely. And we're going to make them, you know, we're going to paint them in the greatest picture for the rest of the world to see. And of course, in every photo, they're having a great time and they just feel like they're a part of Halloween like everybody else mm-hmm. because this is the one time of year where we can just all be kind of freaky and weird and, and it just you just fit in, right? So that was my takeaway. It was like, oh, cool. Like at least during Halloween, we got, we're going to have some sort of like inclusiveness here. Yeah. And so as the years went on, you know, Maddox didn't get his first wheelchair until he was three years old. But prior to that, I think Joe and I, the anticipation of Halloween for us, for Maddox, um, had grown so much that we were like, you know what? We're going to turn his tricycle into something. And sure enough, we did that year. He was Fred Flintstone and it was the cheapest costume we ever made for him. But I think it's, it's still one of my favorites. And we look back on this and, and each year these costumes evolve into something bigger and better. And it truly is a thing. We say this in the blog post that you can hashtag wheelchair costume and you will not see creativity like that anywhere else. These these parents or uh, caretakers, whatever, whoever, they were building these from the heart for our kids. And it's, it's just it's truly something unlike anything I've ever been a part of. Yeah, I mean, we should mention that we're happy and proud that like Target and Walmart and some of the bigger brands, big box stores out there, mm -hmm. Disney have made adaptive costumes within the the last two or three years. Right. So obviously there's this general understanding that like we need to be inclusive around Halloween. But the custom stuff just takes the cake. Like, you you can't go to a Target and buy a sick ass. Like, I saw Darth Vader online the other day. Oh, yeah. With the TIE fighter with the side of the wheelchair was the look like a TIE fighter. And I was just like, man, like, this is what it's all about. I really, I really love it. But truly, hats off to the big box companies for uh, bringing these inclusive costumes into their markets. Because you mentioned it early on for the full-time 
working parents, you know, whether you're a single parent, whether you're a two parent family that you work full time. I mean, yeah, the need to go to Target and pick up a cot or, or order it online. The, the ease of accessibility for that is much needed in our lives, in our chaotic lives. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, what if you don't have time? Like, you can still go to Target and do something cool for your kid and they can still feel included. Yeah, a little uh, side note here. Maddox actually auditioned for a Target commercial ad a couple of years ago. Wah, wah. He obviously didn't get it, but I love that one of our Spina Bifida friends did get get that spot. It was very cool to see. Yeah, it's crazy how, like last year especially, Maddox really got picked up by some news outlets and he really got some recognition. NBC for Los Angeles came out and they did like an interview from the In-N-Out, like literally the In-N-Out by our house in his In-N-Out truck with uh, with all his props and everything. So that was really cool. And then that kind of just kicked off a bunch of other opportunities. Yeah, so that led into their affiliates with um, some of the other networks. So Telemundo picked him up. The Today Show was a huge one. Um, Maddox and our family was on the Today Show for his costume. Uh, but one, one that really stuck with me was E! News reached out to us and on Instagram and they shared his Halloween costume. I think it was like two days before Halloween and that one like literally went viral and he was all over the place from there. Does that make up for you not hosting Wild on Ibiza or one of those other shows when you were uh, in your 20s? Yeah, I, I must say that, you know, the, the dream was still kind of there. And then now that Maddox got this, that 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 was the cherry on the... There you go. We live vicariously like, like every other parent. <laughs> yeah, we were getting people reaching out to us from all across the country. Like, hey, we heard about Maddox on our Oklahoma radio show. And it was like, oh, that's, yes. that's a weird snowball, but cool. Like, yes. A lot of our social media friends and family, some that we've never met, but we interact with all the time. They reached out. We're like, we heard, we heard about Maddox's costume on the radio today. Hey, I know him. <laughs> yeah. So now it's like this, you know, every year people are asking us early on in the in like the summer months or even before summer like what's he gonna be what what are you guys doing yeah i'm sure you're working on it and sometimes we're like oh yeah we know and other times we're like okay we have no idea but we'll see how it goes <laughs> this year was the first year where we had a plan like well in advance you always have the plan i always try to execute it <laughs> i always come with like five ideas and then we narrow it down to like two or three yeah we had the outfit and everything and then it was like he was like nope i want to be blippy this year and we were like okay first well time ever what are we gonna what are we supposed to do deny our kid his his wish to be blippy so i'm keeping that little vin scully suit for next year though hey spoiler alert um but yeah so i was like okay how the hell do i make an adaptive blippy like that's not easy you know all these other vehicles and all these other things that people do are kind of like it's not easy but it's like i understand how to do it you know with this one it was like kind of abstract how do i make an uh, adaptive looking blippy costume so i was like well blippy's known for like his ball pit so let me just make a ball pit that rolls and he can he can be blippy with his ball pit anywhere he goes it's relatively on the easy side of all the costumes It was one I've of built. the easier costumes we've built, but it made our child happy, and I thought we nailed Adapted Blippy. So keep picking your costumes and make it easy on Dad, Maddox. <laughs> <laughs> then Mom won't know what to do with herself. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. So also October is Spina Bifida and Dwarfism Awareness Month. Actually, October is a ton of awareness months rolled in one. It seems like every... Down syndrome. Yeah, everything kind of just gets relegated to October. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason. But for us, it's like, you know... So we got the spina bifida diagnosis before he was born and very early on in the pregnancy, which we're going to talk about in a upcoming episode. It's like unpacking any diagnosis, in my opinion, and this was told to us very early on. It's like there's a mourning process behind 
a diagnosis with any sort of severity, meaning if your expectations were that your child was going to be a baseball player or, you know, something that something in the physical world that people see as like, oh, if I have a son, he's going to be an athlete or if I have a daughter, she's going to be a gymnast or whatever. Like that's all very conventional. I'm, I'm not saying I agree with those notions, but you always have some picture in your mind of my child is going to do this or be able to do that or I want to do that with my child. And so the mourning process becomes you're mourning the loss of those things. Like you don't know, you know, obviously before they're born, you don't know what their capabilities are going to be, but you know, it's going to be hindered in some way by this diagnosis. You know that I'm going to pass along this trait to my child, this, this physical trait or this skill set that, that I had, like me being a softball player, like I was going to pass along, you know, how to hit a ball, how to throw a ball and how to run the bases. Yeah. Well, he still has a ridiculous arm, so it wasn't all lost. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now that is tr- a true statement. But but we you know so we identify with the spina bifida diagnosis and we start to process that and it, like I said it's a it's a bit of a mourning process for better or for worse and I I don't think you know I'm overstepping by saying that because I think if you ask any family that has any diagnosis whether it's down syndrome or you know anything else it's like oh well that was a change in our expectations from especially if it's your first child or if you don't have any other special needs kids it's like it's it's really jarring to to get that diagnosis so you know we already talked a little bit about the spectrum of spina bifida and the different outcomes and then on top of that later on in his life he gets the the dwarfism diagnosis, which in and of itself, those diagnoses aren't super common, but they're things that we're all aware of as, you know, like there's enough awareness around both of those outcomes or both of those diagnoses where you're like, okay, I understand what that is. It's a little person, but dwarfism itself also has like hundreds of variations of what type of dwarfism you could have, how it affects you, the different outcomes. But for the most part, the people are little and, and they, they deal with all the things that being a little person, you know, might deal with. So, you know, then a year or so later, we have to kind of like re <laughs> dig into those feelings of like, okay, now he has a second diagnosis. And yeah, I had already come to grips with the challenges or limitations that he would have with a spina bifida diagnosis at, at his lesion level. Now here we are nine months in and we're being smacked with another diagnosis that is equally, if not a bit more um, visibly presentable. I mean, you see Maddox and in in my mind, and maybe this is just me, but in, in my mind, you see him and you relate very quickly with the fact that he's a little person. Um, he, yes, he's in a wheelchair. So you're not certain, like, is that related to his dwarfism or is there something else going on? But most people will relate to that first and foremost. See, I don't know because like, we know he has those diagnoses and we also know everything that's ever happened to him in his life. But like, I kind of feel like when people see Maddox, they don't quite know what to, what bucket to put him in. They're like, Oh, he's in a wheelchair. Like he's got some scars on his head. He's his stature looks a little different than most. His head's a little larger. Yeah. He's got a little bit of a big head and you know, maybe his arms look short to most people, but I don't think they quite know what to do with it. But there, it seems like in general, people are attracted to that. Like not, not attracted in a physical way, but like, I, I want to learn more about to this. his personality. I yeah, think that's what he's always had going for himself is that he is, he's charismatic and mm-hmm. he's been that way ever since he was a baby and people are drawn to his energy. Yeah. 
And I think that, you know, yes, the physical part of it is also something that people do a double take at sometimes. But I think for the most part, they're drawn to his character and to who he is and the energy he puts off into this world. So ultimately, if you're listening to this and maybe you just got diagnosed with, you know, a disability or something that you're dealing with, or maybe it's like the first year of your child's life. The, the diagnosis eventually fades away. As a parent, you don't think about, oh, I have a kid with spina bifida. I have a kid with dwarfism. Like, we have a Maddox. The, the Maddox that we have is very complicated, and he has so many different needs across different areas of life. But We, we always say dual diagnosis, but the truth of the matter is he's got many diagnoses on top of his spina bifida on top of his dwarfism he has epilepsy he has chiari malformation too he has i mean we we could rattle on so many things but he only has those things as a a side to one of the main two right like he he, it's it's because of one of the other sleep apnea and you know what's so um so ironic is that um he was born with both of these diagnoses and a lot of these add-ons, if you want to call them that, a lot of these add-on diagnoses are a product of the both of them. Yeah, they cross over. His hydrocephalus mm-hmm. crosses over with dwarfism and spina bifida. His sleep apnea crosses over between the two diagnoses. So it's, you know, he just happened to get them both. And uh, oddly enough, both of them are celebrated. The awareness months are in October. That's right. He's a part of both communities and many other communities Absolutely. <laughs> because of that. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk about is I was reading this story as I was eating my cereal this morning, and it just really struck me. It's, it's something that we talk about in a future episode, um, as you'll hear, but it really struck me because it, it's right on brand with something that we're going to get into later. And it's So this couple um, from Boston uh, was talking about their son, Mateo who was diagnosed with trisomy 18, which is basically, it's a diagnosis that you kind of know that the child is gonna have a very short life. Typically, um, hours or weeks is the, is the you know, they, they pass away after a very short amount of time after birth. Sometimes they live up to a year, but it's with tons of medical intervention and, and breathing machines. And it's just, you know, it's, it's not a diagnosis that leads anywhere, right? Except for eventual death. That wasn't the point of the article. The point of the article was that the the mom and the family knew right away, we want to see, we want to meet Mateo. We want him to be born and we'll decide what, you know, however long he lives, we'll decide his life. Yeah, we've named this child. He's a part of us already. And the point of the article was to say that there were so many doctors, so many people in the medical profession were basically begging them to to do the abortion, to terminate the pregnancy upon diagnosis. It's fine. You can just have another one, you know, like the same things that we were told. And that's what struck with me is like, oh my God, this is like a problem. Like Same time frame too, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, <laughs> normalized doctors not talking parents into aborting their child, right. please. Um, but you know, so they went, they absolutely did not listen to any of these doctors or medical staff. They did have Mateo. He, uh, he lived for a few hours, but in those few hours, they got to baptize him with, you know, holy water that they brought in from France and they had a nice little ceremony and they sang to him and they held him and they took photos and they really gave him a proper celebration of life. Yeah. Those, those three hours or four hours were really meaningful for that family. And they went on to have other kids and they're still married. And it's just like, we talk about this 
we talked about it from the beginning. It's like, imagine if they didn't do that. Imagine if they terminated that pregnancy. Like, would they be a happy family anymore? Mm-hmm. Would we have been a happy family anymore if we made that decision on Maddox? It's really hard to we say. We would never know. We would never know how many times a day he smiles, he laughs, he giggles. He's put us in the right state of mind to get through our situation with our marriage or our day right. or our job. We wouldn't know any of that stuff. And I I just feel like it would eat at us every single day if we would have made that decision differently. And I think that that is what um, that is what ultimately solidified our decision to not abort the pregnancy. Um, I I told you back then, like I I had I had dreams of Maddox um, and the dreams that I had of Maddox when I was pregnant with him are very close to uh, who he is today. And that was like, you know, I, I'll mention this in, in a later episode, but I mentioned that I pr- I've never prayed harder to God um, to give us a sign, show me a sign, like that we are meant to move forward with this pregnancy. And for me, those dreams were the sign, mm-hmm. um, seeing what our child would look like down the road. Um, in my dreams, he was around the age of like three to five. And he had this vibrant personality and this amazing smile. And here we are in real life with him. And it's everything that I had dreamt of. Yeah. And to talk about, like, to to not know if we would have taken the alternative. We would have never experienced any of this. And you're absolutely right. I think that would have come back to haunt me personally and I know just in our talks, um, you and I, that, that, that would have just been it for you. Yeah. And, and we don't want to make this a pro or anti-abortion topic because it's not, I think that abortion gets politicized and Way it shouldn't too often. It, it shouldn't be po- political at all because abort, even the topic of abortion, which seems like a zero sum, like you're either in or you're out on it. It's not, it's, it's very, it is polarizing, but it's also very nuanced. Like here are the examples you hear about when people are talking about abortion politically. Oh, you know, a, a young teen mom gets knocked up and doesn't want to deal with it. So, you know, she terminates the pregnancy and that's a, you know, that's a bad thing religiously or whatever, politically. Or the well, mother is, or the father is not in a, a financial situation to right. have a child right now. Right. Okay. So easy to judge that one. Um, on the other side, okay, the mother has been raped by somebody or a family member. There's incest or something like that. And they find out after the six to eight to 10 week period that this happened and now they're pregnant. And like, so that one's on the other side of the argument. Like that one's kind of an easy decision to rationalize. But there's so much nuance in the middle here that nobody ever talks about. Like our situation, like mm-hmm. you're a relatively young, healthy couple. And you get this diagnosis early on in the pregnancy, certainly early enough for abortion to be legal in most states other than Texas. And um, what do you do? Like, it's it's not in, I don't think anybody's situation can be put in a box and said, no. you need to do this. This is the thing that the government is, you know, is going to allow you to do. I just don't think it's like that. And I think no. it's the argument gets a little lost in the politics and it shouldn't be. It's a it's a medical. It's a personal decision. And. There's really no right or wrong answer. Sorry, you don't get to make that decision for somebody else. No. Period. Never. The last thing I wanted to talk about today was this California school walkout. So I don't know, you know, for our listeners not in California, thank you. And, uh, you know, on October 18th, which was a Monday, there was a planned walkout for anybody who wanted to participate. 
in response to our governor's mandate to um, basically have all kids of a certain age, you know, school kids need to be vaccinated against COVID, right? That's That was the mandate that was passed down. However, there was no particular time frame on it. It's not in effect currently. It just was mentioned that if the FDA approved it for kids of this age group, then it was going to be a mandate for them to go to school. This is a long-winded debate across you know, state and federal lines about vaccines, and I don't want to get into that. What I would like to show, shine some light on is this is a very typical child-minded thought process. We're going to walk out. Literally walk the, the words yeah. with your feet and legs. <laughs> walk out of school on October eighteenth to, to stick it to the governor and his mandate. Lucky you that you're fortunate enough to, to have that ability. Meanwhile, we're struggling to get our kid in school in person because of his accident and our lack of trust. We are struggling to get him you know, we've been struggling since COVID to get him in sort some sort of in person learning that uh, progresses his future as far as learning and, and mainstream ability and you know for one day yeah i know it's just one day but you parents get to make the decision to keep your kids out of school and my kid doesn't even get to go to school so because he was neglected while he was on campus and wanted to be there and we wanted him to be there we don't have that luxury so it just it's just a little perspective i'm not judging anybody for doing it i think people look protest any way you want to but also On the flip side, think of our families like ours. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer to be on the other side. Like, you know, I would love to send my kid to school on Monday. And there'll be extra resources to maybe keep him safe on that Monday. Because half of y'all kids won't be in school. Right. But I don't get that choice right now because of what happened. And because of all the things we're trying to line up. Just to get him in that situation where he could go back to school. And he's missed a ton of school. He's missed a year and a half, almost two years of it. So, it just kind of bummed me out that, like, once again... We're not thinking of all the situations here. And I know I sound like, you know, this this might sound a little overcooked for some people, but it's just the way I feel. And you could take that information and do whatever you want with it. Well, and, you know, we, we talk about the school walkout, but let's be honest here. This this is um, we're generalizing this. This there's so many other um, areas of of our lives and other uh, families' lives that this affects. I mean, there we, we have an Instagram friend, Keep Going Owen, and um, the mom, Colleen, she recently uh, posted about um, her feelings of jealousy on these other families that, you know, this was a great example of that. Like, there other families uh, with typical kids um, with no extra needs, like y'all can plan your vacations and book your tickets and be on your merry way. Uh, it's not like that for families like ours. And yeah, like I, it, her post really resonated with me. It's like, we're over here thinking like, am I two days away from a brain surgery? Uh, are there, there, are there signs that I should be looking for now before I book our family's dream vacation. Um, not to mention, you know, the packing list that I have to physically type up before I even start thinking about, okay, we're going to spend X amount of money to, to go do this great thing. And is there a children's hospital that's equipped to handle my kids needs nearby? Is this going to be ADA accessible for my child in a wheelchair? Like all these thoughts that go through our heads. And again, like, you know, it's not what was me like we never try to play that angle but it's reality for us and most 
most people, or I should say people who aren't put in our situation, never even think twice about this. Yeah, sometimes you just grow weary of it as a as a special needs anything, an advocate, a parent, um, somebody who works with special needs kids. Like it's kind of exhausting sometimes. And we've literally planned or not planned vacations around routine MRIs just so we didn't have to blow it up if something was found on that brain MRI. Well, and how many vacations have we canceled? Like we, I think half. I think we learned very <laughs> early on. Maddox may have been. A year old and we learned on that first trip that we had to cancel okay we need to start buying um insurance travel insurance yeah. because we've canceled half of our planned vacations due to um, medical emergencies and so you know this isn't is this isn't like to a big bummer to bum all y'all out it's just another perspective like joe just said to keep in mind if you don't have to deal with it, be thankful. Awesome. Good yeah. for you. But also consider those in your life that are dealing with it and maybe they don't vocalize it, but I'm sure the hell it wears them out at some point. And like you said, that post was just a really real, like, oh yeah, I want, once we, we each read it separately and we're like, yeah, that hits home. Like, a, hell yeah, I'm jealous. We, we felt hell that way. Yeah, I see your families over there just being able to, okay, let's go get, jump in the car, buckle yourself in, and let's be on our way. It's not like that for us. We have to plan out an extra 45 minutes in order to say, hey, can we meet you guys there? Yeah, but we'll be there in an hour, mm-hmm. not 15 minutes. Like, yeah. this is our this is our life, and this is and and you know what? We're grateful for every moment of it. Because we see life through a different lens. And in my personal perspective, it's so beautiful. And part of it's on us. Because it's like, yeah, we could just stay home, right? We could not do any of that shit. But it's like, no, we're not doing that. Nope. We're going and we're going as hard as we can. And if we have a weak moment later, then cool. But for right now, we're, we're plowing forward. And if we're in the moment and there's a challenge, because there always is, you better believe that we're going to figure out a way to adapt. We always do. It reminds me of uh, when we were out to eat that one time and there was an older gentleman and a kid or or his son who was probably, you know, probably in his 20s. I don't know. Yeah. And we could just tell that there was something up at the table. Like our our special needs spidey sense was tingling. Yeah. Maddox wasn't with us. Maddox wasn't with us. The kid went to the restroom. The, the, I think he had to come back and tell the dad, like, hey, the, you know, I had a problem had or whatever. Accident. Yeah, I had an accident. And the guy just started packing up and um, quickly. Like, we know that moment. Oh, yeah. It was like nobody in the restaurant knew. This guy kept it cool. Nobody in the restaurant knew what was going on. But we were like, I know what's going on. And we saw him quickly ask the waiter for the bill. Yeah, he's packing up. And, and so we grabbed the waitress and we're like, can we pay this guy's bill? Because we know who, what he's going through. Not not to like rub it in his face or anything. No just way. to be like, dude, you're, we're, we're in the struggle with you. Like, We got you. Go. Yeah. Go handle business. Hopefully someone like you does this for us later on in life. Or, or you know, I'm sure they have already. There's, there's probably plenty of situations the other way around. But he just came back and he was so appreciative. And the little bit of time he had left after he boxed up his food, he's like, you guys paid my bill. Oh, my God. No, he had left. Like, he was up there up at the, the thing to pay the, to pay the bill. Yeah. He took the time to come back. And I'm like, go. Like, I know you need to go. We got you. So, I mean, obviously the angle here is, like, awareness and just kind of keep your eye out open for this type of stuff. But, you know. Those of us who do it every day, like it's much easier for us to see. Like it, that thing stood out like a sore thumb to us. Probably nobody else would have noticed what was going on. And so. once again, we we get it. Like everyone has a voice, and everyone should have a voice and be passionate about whatever you're passionate about. 
just always know there's a flip side. We always try to see things and, and you know, we're guilty of it too, but just try to see things from, from the flip side. Not everything is uh, black and white. That's right. So we're going to get into some storytelling in future episodes. Like I said, we're going to do some potential interviews and bring in other guests and talk to them, unpack their story a little bit. We're going to be all over the place, but I really hope that we can help somebody along this journey. That's the primary goal. Um, and you know, we're, we've got some courage now. We're not afraid to talk about all these things. So we hope, like I said, that we get some engagement and we can, we can help people in whatever point in their journey that this is applicable. Yeah. And, and it, and even if you can't necessarily relate to the stories and the topics that we talk about, maybe it'll shine a light on some perspective, um, that maybe, maybe you weren't aware of and maybe it'll be enlightening. So thank you all for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll see you next time.